Well, good morning. Anyone excited to be at Global Missions Conference this week? All right. It is, it is a well-known fact that Calvary Baptist Church puts on great missions conferences, and I hope that you can all take advantage of the opportunity to be here. It's neat to see the connection with some of your Global Missions family that are here, and uh, we thank you very much for adding us recently to your family and being able to serve uh, we were talking with Mark and Ruthann over breakfast, had a colleague that's working on a joint ministry project with us, with First Nation peoples, using good soil ministry, and then talking with Mike, his sister, did an internship with us in Ukraine, in Odessa, Ukraine, for a year, and now they're helping our uh, missionaries with member care and, and uh, MK Ministries, and Tim Bahula, where's Tim? Tim's out here somewhere. Tim's organization, Horizon Education Network, has helped our Bible school in Ukraine and Eurasia convert to online education and part of what we do. And then we even had Trevor up here who took an MK kid on from Ukraine and during a furlough, two years of furlough, kind of mentored and taught him on the violin. So it's neat to see all of the connections. That was our son, by the way and uh, to be able to hear about their ministries as well. So we thank you also for your generosity as a church. Back in April, um, I was at a board meeting with Pastor Rick, and he handed me a little envelope and said, here, our people decided to give a little something for the Ukraine Crisis Fund, and opened up the envelope, and it was more than a little something. It was a very substantial gift, which we were able to apply towards the Ukraine Crisis Fund. So I wanted to personally thank all of you who participated in that. I'll be talking a little bit about that later this morning, how that's been used by God in some absolutely amazing miraculous ways, how God has multiplied that. We have still missionaries on the ground in the country and many, many national partners that have been the recipients of those funds and have used those now to be involved in some special projects that I'll be talking about in just a few moments. So we want to thank you very much for being a part and joining in that ministry again as you have time and time again. It is our joy to be back in Canada it's been over three decades since this has been our home as a family. We are originally from Canada, and now we're back here and uh, serving as president of ABWE Canada. Just a little bit about ABWE, uh, Cross Borders for World Evangelism. We are Global Family Ministries, so we have developed a number of different uh, ministries or branches within the organization that all have a slightly different focus, but all of them have the same ultimate mission, and that is to assist churches to be able to achieve their local and international mission objectives. So as God is uh, raising up in your church a desire to reach the nations both overseas and here in Canada, we just want to come alongside and help you. So it's a great joy to be able to provide that help in any way that we can. We're here, and I'd love to talk with you about how we can continue to help in the future. So each one of these ministries has their own distinct ministry philosophy and emphasis. So we have ABWE Go, which is our going branch. So we currently have, uh, together with our U.S. partners, about 1,000 long-term missionaries serving in 84 countries around the world. And there is room for a few more. <laughs> we have many that are getting to the retirement age. I think something like a third of our entire Canadian missionary force is getting ready to retire. And so we're looking for the young couples, we're looking for others who are going to take their place and be able to take the torch and serve him. 
Then we have the Every Ethne Ministry, which is focused on helping you to be able to cross cultures without crossing borders. So without even getting a passport, you can reach the nations right here in the greater Toronto area. And then we have, they've developed a number of really cool trainings and other helps for churches. They have workshops on how to build bridges of understanding and in a winsome way establish relationships with other religious worldviews, whether it be Islam or Hinduism or even other subgroups of the population like LGBTQ and others. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the every ethne ministry launch point, short-term trips with long-term impact. And so we're working on getting back into the short-term thing now that COVID is hopefully moving slowly away. We're able to do that again and realize the impact that that's had in so many people's lives. Live Global is a ministry of helping you to connect with national partners overseas and their projects in some hard to reach places, but we can get in there through our national partners. And then finally, Good Soil, I'll be presenting that ministry tomorrow evening. This is a ministry that's near to our hearts. It's an evangelism and discipleship ministry, helping you to be able to share the gospel in a clear way so that it will lead to understanding so that people will embrace the gospel. And so I'll be presenting that a little bit tomorrow evening, but especially some of the stories of how God has now used this as it's been translated into several dozen languages and is being used around the world with different adaptations and equipping the body of Christ and motivating them and resourcing them to share the story of hope. So we'd love to continue to work with you and share with you some of those resources. As has been mentioned by Pastor, we served in Ukraine as missionaries ourselves for over, tw over 22 years. And uh, we were able to see God do some amazing things and appreciate your partnership with Hope for People was the name of our church plant in the city of Odessa that you partnered with. Uh, city, uh, we lived in a suburb which was much small, probably considerably smaller geographically than Oshawa. Um, we basically had one mile long and three main streets <laughs> with a few side streets. And in that community were 300,000 people all living in high-rise apartment buildings. And so kind of picture like some of the populated areas of Toronto. And right in the middle of that community was the church building, which we called Hope for People. And so that was kind of a cool name because that's what we were there to offer. And God blessed that ministry and saw the church grow. But of course, that's not what we think of when we hear of Ukraine today. We usually picture scenes like this. This was taken just over a week ago on a day where 20 cities were hit with missiles randomly targeted at civilian buildings. Imagine that you're sitting at your breakfast table in the morning getting ready for work as two people were in this building before a missile struck and killed them instantly. And this scene has been repeated over and over on a daily basis in the country of Ukraine. And it's not just Ukraine. We hear about war, devastation in so many countries around the world. And it can be heartbreaking as we put ourselves in the positions of the people and as we hear about the, the terrible tragedy that is taking place even as we speak. We can also talk about world poverty. 
The World Bank estimates that there are 700 million people today living in extreme poverty, which they define as living on less than $2 a day, which is barely enough to provide food to support the families. Or what about the refugee crisis today? This is a refugee camp in Pakistan. There are about 90 million people today that have been forcibly displaced from their homes. Over 10 million of those are from Ukraine today. There are streets that you can go to leading out of Ukraine, going into some neighboring countries in Central Europe that are littered with pieces of luggage filled with items that were left behind because they got, their arms got too tired to carry them as they're walking towards the border. They just left things behind and were left with maybe a grocery bag or maybe carrying a pet or something that was dearest to the family. And that's all they had left, leaving behind their everything that they knew, their homes, their possessions, their jobs, their careers, their schools. I don't know about you, but this is a, a difficult thing sometimes to turn on the news and watch what's happening, isn't it? To hear about devastation, about lives that are being torn apart. And we even see some of the tragedies in our own country. My question is for you, what do these pictures, what emotions do these pictures evoke for you this morning? As you think about all of these crises, what, what does that do to you? Anything? Or have we just become so used to it that we've just kind of become cold to it all? Perhaps some of you, it will create feelings of sorrow for a little while, maybe compassion, pity. I know for me, sometimes I have to admit even anger at the injustice in the world. And you know, Jesus also lived during a time of great hardship. It wasn't easy to live in the first century in Israel. They were under the oppression of the Romans that were heavily taxing them, which was leading to high poverty. They had limited freedoms. They were facing high levels of disease of all kinds, from leprosy to other things. And this is the world where Jesus lived, where God sent him to. And so I'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 9 and pick up the story here. In that context, we're going to read about how Jesus responded to hardships around him. What did that do to him at an emotional level? And then how did he respond to that? to the difficulties that he saw in the world. And so we're going to begin reading in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. And that gives us the background and kind of the key verse I'm going to zone in on is the next one in verse 36. But let's begin in context looking back at verse 35. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and... While he was proclaiming the gospel, he was also healing every disease and every affliction. So you see again that holistic ministry of Jesus while he was uh, teaching spiritual ministry, but also caring for people physically. And so you can imagine now the scene here that Jesus was often surrounded by crowds of people that were coming in from all sides. Because they had seen him feed the 5,000. They had seen him heal those who were 
were diseased, those that were sick. And so he had quite a following of people that traveled with him as he went. And some of these perhaps were sincerely there to hear his teaching. I would imagine that perhaps there were many that were following him that were just there to get a free lunch or to get healed or to find some kind of physical help for their suffering. And so Jesus was a person who was constantly surrounded by people. I don't know, do we have any introverts in the crowd here? I don't want to say you're an introvert. They're kind of shy. They don't want to put up their hand. <laughs> I know I have one of my kids is an introvert, and she explains to me a little bit what an introvert is. It means like you can be with people and you can be friendly and nice, but at the end of the day, if you're with people all day, you just need to go into your room by yourself and be alone because it can be somewhat overwhelming to be constantly surrounded by people. And imagine being in the shoes of Jesus where wherever he went, he was a known person, well-known, and he had all these crowds of people around him. And there were times where he got away to be on his own, but that was usually to pray or to, or to talk with his father. But notice what Jesus' response was here to all of the suffering and the disease and the difficulties that he saw in his world. And this is our key verse in verse 36. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had what? He had compassion for them. Now, some of you, maybe somebody here has a King James version. Actually, if you go back to the King James, I like that translation here. It kind of is pretty literal translation of what it is in the original, which is he was moved with compassion. But to go even further, the actual language, if I were to translate this literally, means he was moved in his bowels, in his, literally in his intestines is what that word means. Okay, so what does that mean, that he was moved in his bowels? That We don't typically say that phrase very often. I I suppose you could say like somebody went through a gut-wrenching experience. It's maybe a little bit like that, but not quite. We would typically say he was moved to the depths of his being or his soul or his heart. If you love somebody, you go up to your sweetheart and you say, I love you with all of my heart. Okay, some of the guys know the right answer. So if, I'll give you coaching, guys. The young guys here, this is what you do. You don't go up to your wife and say, I love you from every inch of my intestines. That's not probably going to work very well. It'll have a different connotation in Canadian culture. But we typically love with our heart. But the Hebrews, they... with they thought with their heart. So the heart was more associated with the mind and with thinking. So you don't say, I love you with my mind at an intellectual level. That doesn't work either, guys. Don't try that one. You want to get to the emotions of it. So the same thing here for the Hebrews. If you were moved in your bowels, what that means is that you're a deeply, deeply troubled at an emotional level that you can kind of feel it in your gut. You know, that feeling that you get when you get that difficult phone call or somebody you love has just passed away, just like your stomach just drops and you have that overwhelming sense of grief and pain, almost physical pain that you can feel at that moment. And that's exactly the phrase here that's used when it says that Jesus had compassion for them. It's like his stomach dropped and he felt it deeply from the soul of his being. Now, this is the exact same phrase that we read about in John chapter 11. Whole nother situation. He's again with a crowd of people, but it's a different setting. Here it was just after he had been told that Lazarus, 
his friend, his young friend, had died. And it says there in, in chapter 11 and verse 33 that he was deeply moved in his spirit. That's actually a li literal wooden translation from the Greek there. He, and it's the same thing. He was moved with compassion. He was deeply moved in his intestines and he wept, it says, over the death of Lazarus. The same kind of thing. And the idea there is one of shuddering. As I've kind of looked into that word, it's kind of, you know, the shoulders just start going up and down and you just are pouring out the tears and you forget what you look like. It's just an ugly cry. I mean, you are just totally overwhelmed with sorrow and grief. And you break down in tears. And that's how Jesus felt every time he looked at the crowds of people around him. What was it that caused this great emotion, this great compassion um, that Jesus felt? Do you think it was just because they were sick or just because they were oppressed militarily or because they were poor? Although I'm sure he cared about all of those things, but I think it must be something much deeper. And in fact, we see the answer here in verse 36. The reason that he had compassion for them in the next phrase is because they were harassed and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's the because phrase there. So why did he feel that deep compassion, that sorrowful sense of burden for their 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 suffering it was not their physical suffering it was because they were harassed and helpless now let's break that down a little bit the word harassed there is a synonym for that word would be bullied they were being bullied they were being picked on they were being harassed they were being oppressed by the enemy by satan he was picking on them and bullying on them have you ever seen a kid at school just being bullied over and over it's the same kind of sense, or I picture like a, a little bird and, and you see a big bird swooping in and it starts pecking away at it and it starts just bullying and, and, and harassing that little bird and it can't get away. And so the next phrase is, it was helpless, like that little bird, it can't get away and there's no one there to help get it out of its situation. It's just constantly being picked on. Helpless, they were unable to rescue themselves or escape their tormentors. So at a spiritual level, this is what, Jesus, what we were being told Jesus wept over and what he felt compassionate about was over the lost people in this world spiritually who were being bullied and oppressed by the evil one, by Satan himself, who is in Satan's grips and who cannot get out. They have no escape for their torment. That's how he saw the crowds that were lost around him. And then he adds the phrase, Matthew adds the phrase, they were like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't know the good shepherd. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and they were the lost, and he felt deeply compassionate because he could help them escape from their torment if only they were willing to believe in him and accept his love, and yet they wouldn't. And they continued on in their lostness. Now, I think this is the same reason that he wept 
over the death of Lazarus. It wasn't the physical death of Lazarus. That's what I used to think when I read this story as a kid. You know, it was a good verse to memorize when you're in Awana or something. It's because it's like it's only two words long. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. It's really easy. And I used to assume that's because his friend had died. Who wouldn't cry because his friend had died? But I don't think that was the reason that he felt compassion in John 11 because he said in verse 11 that to his disciples that he would awaken Lazarus from the dead. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead even before he did it. And then he told Martha a little bit later in verse 23, he told her, you don't, don't fret, your brother will rise again. So she goes into this theological thing. Oh, yes, on the day of the resurrection. He said, you don't get it. I'm going to raise him from the dead now. Like, let's, let's celebrate. This is a time of showing, you know, my divinity and my power here. I'm going to raise him from the dead. But why was he crying then? I think he, what he wept over was because he saw their spiritual condition and their lack of faith in him. It's the same thing. It was always the same thing for Jesus. He was always felt that compassion in his gut because the world is lost spiritually and without a shepherd. Now, Jesus certainly cared about people's physical needs. Oh, yes, and he responded to those needs. But his response to those needs was always to authenticate the good news that he was coming to bring. That's why he came. He came to seek and to save sinners. He didn't come to right the world of all the civic um, things that were going on and he didn't come to right the world of war and to end war and end poverty and end the refugee crisis. He came to save sinners who were lost and were being oppressed and who were being tormented by the evil one. He came as a shepherd to offer eternal life to a lost world. Now, we do care for physical needs. In ABWE, we have many ministries around the world that are involved in meeting critical social needs from hospitals to orphanages to women's centers and relief efforts. We do all of those things, but we do them as a platform to authenticate the gospel message. There must always be a proclamation of the gospel because that alone is the only answer for this world's number one greatest need, which is not physical, but is spiritual. So my question is, when was the last time that you were deeply moved in your bowels over the spiritual lostness of this world today? And I don't mean the starving children in Africa or refugees fleeing a war zone in Ukraine. I'm referring to the billions of people in this world today who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not because they don't want to. It's because they cannot. There is no one to tell them. So Jesus was deeply compelled and burdened by this. And so he acted. He turned to his disciples and said, we have to do something about this, about this spiritual need. So what did he tell his disciples to do? Anyone remember the next verse? Pray. I said, would you pray? Prayer? He thought he was a man of action. You know, he'd do something about it. He'd preach and have God save everybody. But he didn't do that. He had another plan in his mind. And it all began with prayer. 
We read that in verse 37, the next verse here. He said, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There's no issue here of people wanting to hear the gospel. People are waiting to hear the good news. The harvest is plentiful. Here's the problem. The laborers are few. So therefore, would you pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest? Pray that the Lord will send out laborers into his harvest field. And so he calls on us today to pray. To pray that God would send forth more missionaries, that God would send forth more laborers to go out into the harvest field, which is already ripe and waiting, where people are waiting to hear the good news but have never heard it because nobody has gone to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for their sins, that he is offering them life in abundance and abundance and eternal life with him if only we will believe in him. Jesus did feel extreme sorrow and compassion for the lost, yet he viewed them not just as a crowd, but as a harvest that is just waiting to be harvested. And the situation is no different today than it was in the first century. There are still crowds of people all over this world who have never heard. And I know this is not a popular message today in our culture, that teaches us that the heathen are not lost. They're okay. They can have their own faith. They can believe what they want to believe. But the fact is, unless they believe in Jesus Christ, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. This is an exclusive message that they need one singular message, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ, or they are lost for all of eternity. Those who have studied missiology will tell us that the world is divided into people groups. A people group, you may have heard that term before, it's people that have a common language, a common self-identity. So it could be the Malays or the Afghanis or the Fulani tribal peoples in Africa, but they're all different people groups. Out of these people groups, there are over 7,000 that would be considered unreached people groups. What unreached means is that there's a very small percentage of believers that's not sustainable, a sustainable number to see a church movement grab hold in that people group. So less than 2% are believers in that country. Over 7,000 like that, there's a lot. Of these, about half of them, over 3,000, would be considered not only unreached, but they're also unengaged now, what unengaged means is that not only is there not a sustainable church planting movement in that people group, but there are also no Christian workers or missionaries serving that people group. In other words, there is no one there to be able to share the gospel with these, with these people. And there's no plan to at the current moment. And this covers over 40% of the world's population. So you're talking billions of people who want to hear good news, they just have no one to tell them. They have never heard. And they have no possibility of hearing the gospel. And yet the church today has failed to reach them, has not sent anyone. Now there are some efforts to go to the unreached people groups underway. There are some that have gone. And I've recently looked into some of the statistics that are somewhat disturbing and, and also convicting. 
One statistic is that for every 250,000 Christians, so imagine now we're somewhere yet up all of the the Christians and all the churches across Ontario, and let's say you get to 250,000. For every 250,000 Christians, there is one that has gone to the unreached peoples of the world, to the 40% of the population of the world that have no one to preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. It gets even worse. Okay, here's another statistic. This year, Americans will spend more money on purchasing Halloween costumes for their pets than they will spend on the unreaching the unreached peoples of the world. If you add up the dollar amount, that is true. And we have the good news that this world needs, that Jesus Christ sent his son, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth as a perfect sacrifice to offer forgiveness for our sin and to offer a covering for their shame. So what happens when believers go to the lost peoples of the world, when they respond to the call of God to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Well, I know what happened in the first century. The church was scattered because of persecution and they went throughout all of the Roman Empire and everywhere they went, they began preaching and there was a spiritual revival and the church grew and multiplied across the entire world and three centuries later to the point that Christianity became the dominant religion in the Roman Empire from zero. (laughs) That's what happened when God's people went out from Jerusalem and they began to scatter and they began to take the gospel. Everywhere that they went, the good news was spread and people embraced Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 6, the Apostle Paul there describes this movement and he said everywhere, all throughout the world, this good news of Jesus is growing and bearing fruit. That's the theme of our conference for this week. All over the world, this good news today is growing and bearing fruit, just as it was in the first century because God's people responded and went. And the same thing is happening today in a place like Ukraine. In Ukraine, we've talked about the terrible devastation and the suffering that is going on, but there's another message here that you're not going to read in the media. This doesn't make it onto the CBC, believe it or not. What is happening today in the country of Ukraine is that God's people in Ukraine are responding. We have pastors and church members that are taking up the call and they are so burdened in their bowels and feeling compassion for the lostness, the spiritual lostness of their people, that they are risking their lives to go into some of the most dangerous places to be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and it is spreading. And they're doing it at great cost. Often what they will do is they will, we, we have used the Ukraine crisis fund that you guys contributed towards. We've purchased vans for churches. They go to the border of Poland or Romania. They load up the car with, with produce and humanitarian aid and medical supplies. And then we get them across to some of the, the war zone, some of the occupied zones even. And they hand out all of these groceries and food to people. And then they empty the car and then they fill it up with refugees and they take them back and they do it all over again week after week. One pastor recently heard that his home church back where he grew up had been struck by a missile and and the roof was destroyed and, and they didn't have a place to meet as a church with winter fast approaching. And so he traveled back to his hometown right on the edge of the fighting And he was up on the roof with a piece of plastic trying to cover that roof when another missile struck him and killed him. 
And we have had many believers who have lost their lives because they were trying to, to, to do something to help. But as they do that, they're also sharing the gospel. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there is a spiritual revival happening in Ukraine that is greater than at any time in its history as a country. This is what we're not hearing in the news. It's it's terrible story. It's terrible news. But you know what? God takes terrible things and terrible situations when God's people respond and are willing to risk their lives and go to proclaim the gospel. And we are seeing people come to Christ in a way that we have never seen in the history of Ukraine. Praise God. We are hearing from one church planner. He said, we, I have not had this much fun in my entire life. This is better than the early 90s. You know, when Billy Graham would come and he'd have a million people show up in his, hundreds of thousands in a stadium or Bibles were being passed out and people were grabbing them. He said, this is even greater than that because people are coming in hearing the truth and embracing the gospel. One church recently wrote, and I got a letter, they said, we, we are a church of 300. I've been in this church. We had a Bible school there, and I went to their graduation. Church of 300, most of the people had left and have, have left because it's close to Kherson in that area that's under fighting right now. So they were down to 80 people. So the church is mostly empty. This is a good news story. It doesn't sound like it yet, but just wait. That church today is packed full of people to overflowing and meeting out in the courtyard with all unbelievers that are coming to hear the story of hope, to find out what is it with these Christians? What is it with their love? Why are they risking their lives for us when the priests and the others don't really care? What's different about you? A church in Kiev, and we're going to tell their story here in just a moment because you've helped support this church. You didn't know it, but you have, up in Kiev. And they've been handing out humanitarian aid. They have a little checklist and they write off people's names and look at their passport. And they notice that these people, one day they would feed 500 people out of this church, just out of the basement of their church. And uh, this is a church of 50, 60 members. It's not a big church at all. So all of the the members are engaged in this project. And they notice these people are just kind of sticking around. And they kind of would go up to them and say, like, "We we don't have enough to... And they said, well, we're not, you don't understand. We're not just here for the food. We want to find out about Jesus. Can you tell us about him? Like, what is it about this love that you have as a church? Why are you doing this? And they're asking if they can stay. And these people are getting into small groups. They're being discipled. They're coming to Christ. They're being baptized. And the church is just bursting at the seams. And this story is being repeated in hundreds and thousands of churches across the country. Praise God that you know, it, it took a war, <laughs> but the, Ukraine is turning to Christ. And it's so exciting just to see that and to be a part of it. But it all started with the intestines because God's people were moved with compassion when they saw the, not just the physical needs, but the spiritual needs of a people in a country. And it is so easy to forget that as we're watching the news and forget that behind every terrible story that we see, there's an even worse story here, and it's the spiritual lostness of the peoples of the world. So I'd like to just share with you briefly this story from Kiev. Just one church of many.
Baba Gospodu, praise the Lord for what he's doing. Would you pray with me? Pray that God would send out more missionaries to places like Ukraine, to some of the hardest unreached people groups of the world. Pray that God would give us a deep compassion for the spiritually lost. And as I pray, perhaps God is calling some, someone here to take that step of courage and to step out motivated by compassion. The harvest is waiting. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, first of all, for what you are doing in reaching the nations, that you are raising up a church, that you are raising up the body of Christ to go into difficult places like the war zone of Ukraine. And we see the results. We see that there is a harvest, Father, waiting. So many people, so many millions and billions of people that are just waiting for someone to come and share with them the story of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would fill our hearts with compassion, with an overwhelming sense of, of burden and just a, a shuddering sorrow over the lost condition of the world today. Father, help us to see people through different eyes. And Father, may you cause that same compassion to lead us to going into all the world and preaching the gospel. So Father, I pray for Calvary Baptist Church. May you use this church to reach this community and to reach the world with the gospel. And I pray that if there was someone here, Father, who you are challenging and burdening to consider going as a missionary or going and, and serving in some capacity to the peoples of the world, that you would just bring them wisdom, that you would give them conviction, that you would not allow them rest until they, they settle this with you. And so, Father, we just thank you for your work. We thank you for the fact that you are the Lord of the harvest. Father, would you send us? In Jesus' name, amen.